Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. My name is John Siegley. I'm joined by Don Callahan and Buck Sanders talking some UNC football recruiting. So guys, we are recording this early Sunday morning, and we're going to be discussing, first off, a trio of players that Don posted updates on earlier in the week. So, um, you know, for everyone listening in, if there are some developments with any of these guys that occur after the, the podcast, I just wanted to put a timestamp kind of on this, but we'll try to look into the future as best we can and see if the predictions turn out well. So let's go ahead and start this one off. Don, you posted on the Tarpit Crew message board a pretty long post about Eugene Asante, and there is actually a feature story coming out about him on Monday. So when everyone's listening to this podcast, hopefully um, it'll post on Sunday and people can look forward to that. What is going on with Asante's recruitment, man? I think you're bearing the lead here. You didn't introduce the the wise and powerful Buck Sanders is, no, is on this I, podcast with us. I did. I, I said it, it was uh, it was Don and that uh, I was joined by oh, you. And I Buck. was. Ex- I guess I was expecting more of a presentation because Buck's here. You know, for the there, second week in a row, no, there was no drum roll. There was no drum roll. We haven't <laughs> done drum roll in a while. Drum rolls only if we're doing a list. Which reminds me, I, I had an idea for a list. If you guys want to do one for next week, yeah, let's talk about that, and um, we can we can touch on that towards the later part of the pod, since you know everyone loves our drum rolls. <laughs> okay, well let me let me just throw out the, the idea, and then I'll go into the Santi stuff. Um, we have roughly a half dozen guys left for North Carolina's class options, I guess. Um, why don't we have everybody rank in order your top five wish lists? You know, obviously, number one would be the one you want the most. Number five would be the one you want the least. And just kind of roll with that. Is everyone cool with that? That works for me. How about you, Buck? Yeah, I'm good with that. That's good. I'm okay. good with that. And if any of the listeners want to join in, you can DM myself or you could DM John on um, Inside Carolina. Or you can tweet at me at uh, Don Callahan IC on Twitter. But to get into the Asante stuff, uh, we went on location with uh, Eugene Asante, a linebacker from just outside of Washington, D.C., a northern Virginia area. Spent some time with him and his family and uh, his trainer slash uh, cousin to kind of talk about the whole situation, not just with North Carolina, while that's that's obviously a really important thing for the for the uh, UNC fans, but also as far as just his rise. I mean, he was a guy who... Had a had a bunch of I guess uh, FCS and and uh, Group of Five scholarship offers up until December really, and then Virginia Tech offered, and then fifteen other Power Five schools offered, including North Carolina, and you know all these schools are are obviously kind of fighting for those those precious five official visits. North Carolina is going to get one of them, as we we reported a couple of weeks ago. North Carolina is actually going to get the last one. Which, uh, considering he's looking at a a uh, signing day decision, or at least deciding, at least by signing day, um, that's that's going to be important for North Carolina, um, you know, in landing him. We have, um, as John said, we're going to have a, a feature story on Asante to be posted on Monday. So definitely look forward to that. It goes into detail about the whole situation with North Carolina. He had an in-home visit with uh, Mac Brown um, a little over a week ago. 
Um, but he talks about that, talks about his feelings in North Carolina, what he knows, what he's trying to get out of UNC. Um, and then also, as I said, his rise. We posted kind of like just the, the recruiting aspect of, of, of the whole situation, kind of like a Cliff Notes sort of version on Friday so that people kind of had an idea of what's going on with him, what's kind of latest, because uh, he hasn't really talked on the record very much the past couple of weeks. So we wanted to kind of, um, I guess, set the record straight and directly from the the horse's mouth. I'm assuming you guys both read the at least the Cliff Notes version of it. Uh, John or Buck, did you guys have any anything that popped out at you when you were reading that stuff? I'll jump in here first. And with Asante, what stuck out to me was just the the kind of quick rise that you mentioned, Adon, where he went from only having one Power 5 offer of Virginia Tech to all of a sudden now he is a four-star on the 247 Sports Composite ranking. And given how late in the recruiting game it is, the potential of landing a four-star player is absolutely huge right now. Now, I've not watched too much film on Asante, so um, I wanted to get your thoughts on what type of player he is, Don. But before we get to that, Buck, you know, what were your thoughts in on reading Don's little cliff note version there? The thing about Asante, I think, that jumps out to me is that uh, the part about being committed to Virginia Tech uh, or at least – the Virginia Tech people felt like they sort of had Asante in the bag, uh, that uh, it was just more or less uh, a done deal that they were going to land him. And North Carolina kind of just got involved late in the process. I don't know how much uh, conversation or interest there was before Mac Brown, uh, but it certainly heated up big time. And that would be a really big steal, if you would, if they were able to persuade him to uh, choose North Carolina over Virginia Tech, which was long thought to be his uh, ultimate destination. And so, yeah, yeah go ahead. Don. If I could jump in. Yeah. Um, the, the interesting thing was to me, um, he took that official visit to Virginia Tech the weekend before the early signing period. And, and as Buck said, I mean, yeah, I mean, everyone felt like Virginia Tech was his destination. And, and I think Virginia Tech still to this day is the leader. But if Virginia Tech had such a strong grip on him, then why did he not sign during the, that first signing period? Why did he want to kind of wait it out and, and take more official visits? So I think that, as I said, Virginia Tech's the leader, but there is definitely an opportunity for one of these last schools. He's, he's officially visiting Florida State this weekend and then obviously North Carolina next weekend. One of those two schools definitely has an opportunity to kind of um, turn the tide toward their direction, for sure. So, from what you've seen of his film, Don, why does or why did Asante get that four-star ranking? What really is his are his traits that elevate him above the kind of standard at this point three-star rating? Well, after watching his film, I think the better question, the question I don't have the answer to, is why did it take so long for the rankings people and the colleges to recognize this kid because his film is very, very impressive. I mean, he, he plays like, like a heat seeking missile. You you watch it and he'll, you can see him. A lot of the, a lot of the film is actually from the end zone, which is, is good for, for his play. You can kind of see him that, you know, dissecting the offense. And then as soon as he sees what he needs to see, boom, he takes off, he runs to the ball carrier. I mean, he'll blow up blockers in his path. He'll, you know, 
dive, he'll fight, and I mean, he makes a ton of plays, and it's just like a, I mean, he's like a missile, just how he gets from zero to 60 so quickly and reaches uh, the ball carrier with, with, you know, tremendous force, and I think, to me, I mean, I, I just, it just really surprises me that uh, it took so long for people to recognize, it because if you haven't watched this film, definitely put it on, it's, it's very impressive. Well, just in, in my opinion, I think that UNC getting the final official visit with this one's going to be huge. You know, Buck, what do you think about Mac Brown's ability to kind of formulate and shape his recruiting pitch to a player where Mac is going to have the last say and be the last voice that he hears in his ear before he decides to make his college decision? Well, I think his pitch is pretty routine at this point. I mean, uh, they're bringing in guys that, uh, I mean, they're, when they're talking to guys, you know, there's obviously they pitch Mac Brown's uh, resume, you know, flash a few championship or a French championship ring. They, they really kind of emphasize that there's a uh, staff, new staff here. They're probably not going anywhere for a while and that uh, you know that they'll they'll get really great coaching at UNC. Uh, you know, I certainly if you watch, uh, you know, read the Tarpet Premium message board, the number, the sheer number of uh, posts there that are uh, embedding uh, Twitter comments from recruits is mind-boggling. Uh, where is it, Mac Brown? You know, it used to be the old question, you know, where in the world is Karma San Diego? Well, uh, Mac Brown appears to be in every single home of every single recruit, uh, 2019 and 2020, um, that has any kind of uh, interest in UNC. So uh, one of the things that's come out of this last uh, couple of week cycle uh, for me is that if anybody was worried about the level of Mac Brown's energy, um, they didn't need to worry no longer. He, he's just everywhere taking photos with families and coaches. And uh, it's just been extraordinary to me how many times uh, we've seen uh, Mac Brown with a uh, family or families, recruits or coaches or whatever uh, via Twitter. I can't disagree with that. It has honestly been very, very encouraging to see just that that social media blitz is what I, is how I would describe it. Um, and I mean, you're right on the money there, Buck. So, Don, let's go ahead and talk about another player that you posted an update on. That is Wisdom as a borrow, and it looks as if this is kind of forming into a two horse race for him between UNC and Virginia at this point. Do you think that that's pretty fair to say? I think his situation's so unique it's hard to define it by that I think that the two most recent developments are definitely um, positive for North Carolina the fact that uh, he as of Friday he had no plans to officially visit any school Um, I guess uh, his plans to um, officially visit Penn State kind of fell through and then also he had a trip scheduled with uh, Tennessee last well it it was to begin Sunday and end Tuesday. That got canceled because Tennessee filled up, which I felt like was going to be North Carolina's biggest competition because of his connection with one of the uh, one of the other signees there, and um, and the fact that you know he had that Monday free and he decided to return to North Carolina for a basketball game. Those are all positive for UNC. 
But I think just because he's such a unique subject, you know, he's he doesn't have too many ties to you know to college football. Um, his family is still in Nigeria. He lives with a host family, and you know they have their different feelings on things. Although from what I'm hearing, they um, the pro North Carolina. His coach is obviously involved. There's a couple other people who are involved. And so I feel like there's just so many moving parts here that right now everything looks really, really good for North Carolina. But it would not shock me if something happens and things switch out. And, I, and, and really, it's just a matter of kind of watching this day by day to see what's going to happen with, with the visits. And um, because of his situation, he, he could end up taking some midweek official visits um, and he could really end up deciding, hey, I don't want to sign on signing day. I want to wait a little bit longer, take a couple more visits. So um, I think it's 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 good to be optimistic, but I think you got to be cautious just because of the the dynamics of everything that's involved with this. And I've been meaning to ask you about this for a while, Don. With, with Azaboro, you know, is he actually a true six eight player? Like, do you think that at that height? is pretty accurate because sometimes as we've discussed in the podcast people do self-report heights and they just turn out to be inaccurate but you know from what i've seen of his photos and films he actually might be that tall yeah no it, it is absolutely in my opinion um it's it's legit i as you guys know i've been doing this for a very long time for 15 years i think uh, i've been going to high schools for at least the last 10 if not more and um, i've seen every recruit who has come out of North Carolina within the last 10 years or more. I've been to their high schools. I've seen them in person. I have never been more, I don't even know what the word is. I, I want to say impressed, but I, just kind of like, like it's like a shocking when, when I first lay my eyes on, on wisdom as a borrow, because he is an impressive human, human being. I've been around Dexter Lawrence. I've been around, you know, uh, Todd Gurley, all these other guys. Uh, but when wisdom walked into, it was actually in the hallway and it was between classes and maybe that kind of added to it because you saw all the other students kind of walking around him and he was just literally a giant among them. I mean, he is a huge human being and extremely impressive. And, um, I think really he's the type of guy that once a coach sees him in person, it it doesn't even matter what his film looks like. He's just such an impressive human being, but but that kind of leads me to my, my question for Buck. Uh, Buck's been following this stuff for a long time. Um, and we always have these stories about, okay, this, this developmental guy, this guy who, um, you know, has limited football experience and, but he has all the tools, he's tall, he's athletic, all this sort of stuff. And North Carolina is bringing in a lot of guys like that with this class. What are your thoughts on bringing those guys and and their potential for success on, on the college level? Well, I think in, in general, uh, if you've got a guy that, um, has, you know, all the athletic ability and has the physical tools to contribute. Um, when someone grows, I mean, po- quite possibly when wisdom was younger, uh, it, his only thought in his head as far as sports, uh, sports were going was basketball. Um, and certainly North Carolina's basketball tradition is not going to hurt him in his recruitment to UNC, but, you know, I think it's a mixed bag, almost like everything else. You see some of these guys come in um, and uh, excel, do well. And then you you see other guys that really it, the developmental process takes a while. And they may not really contribute 
until at least they're a junior or maybe even uh, as a uh, as a senior. Uh, I, I think that you know, with a guy that's as you describe him to be, certainly you can start putting him in, uh, start using him in situational uh, kinds of uh, uses in football. Like if a guy like that in the center of the line on special teams on field goal attempts, for example, might come in useful, huh? You know, um, being able to bat the ball away. And we've seen some guys at UNC that, Jeremiah Clark, for one, that's a tall guy that, you know, they has gotten his hands on a few, uh, you know, field goal attempts or extra point attempts. So I think they might try to work him in that way. Um, but, you know, he's probably got some growing to do in terms of bulk, I would assume, as well. What has he done about uh, 260 or so, 270 maybe? He's- He's 280. I mean, he's he's really well put together. He's not. I mean, he's um, he. I mean, everybody has room for growth, and I'm sure he has some baby fat that can be that can be trimmed off and added for weight. But I mean, he um, he he he's impressive. Not just the size, his build too. Yeah. Well, um, of course, uh, six foot eight and 280 is not the same thing as six foot two and 300, right? Right. Um, so, you know, I think we'll just have to see. Probably he hasn't had as much strength and conditioning as, uh, you know, most players. Uh, I think there's a whole lot more weightlifting and uh, S&C that, that is applied uh, when a kid has been in football for a very long time. You know, by the time they're, you know, 14 or 15, they're probably lifting uh regularly if they have you know are a high-end prospect someone that they think you know is gonna uh, go on to play at the college level i don't i don't think that same uh snc process goes into the or applies equally in basketball although i could be wrong about that but i'm just making that assumption all right, guys, let's go ahead and take a very quick commercial break. When we get back, let's talk about the third player that Don posted an update on last week. And then let's also dig into the new transfer rule because it's a pretty hot topic on the boards right now. So everyone who's listening, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegel here with Don Callahan and Buck Sanders talking some UNC football recruiting. All right, guys. So we've touched on Wisdom as a borough. We've touched on Asante. Now let's talk about Don Chapman. And, you know, Don, this was kind of the, I feel like, the most significant update as far as direct impact on UNC's re- recruiting class because it sounds like Chapman is going to be making his decision today, actually. And again, we are recording early on Sunday morning. He is scheduled to commit to a school later on in the evening on Sunday. So, Don, if you were going to try to make a prediction best guess right now, you know, are the heels in a good position to be the school that Chapman does end up selecting? Well, before I get to that, I think we, we need to make sure we mention that all of these updates the Inside Carolina subscribers have been receiving since, well, these updates in particular, Friday, they were all posted. And that's like a regular occurrence, especially this time of year, with, with this information constantly changing and being updated. You know, a guy might say he's officially visiting, like like Wisdom Massabaro, say says he's officially visiting Penn State earlier in the week. 
come, fr- come Friday, he says, uh, you know, things kind of fell apart and he's not going to be officially visiting. And, and we were able to report that. So I think it's important that the listeners know if you're not a subscriber to Inside Carolina, this information is coming to you on a daily basis. But with, with Chapman, yeah, he has a football banquet scheduled for uh, Sunday night. I think it's 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is, what's that? Is that that's 7 uh, for us, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So be, okay. Seven. Um, he has only taken two official visits. And I always feel like there's not a whole lot of uh, rules for recruiting when you're trying to predict things. I feel like the one rule that it isn't 100% foolproof, but it's pretty reliable. You look at who they officially visit. and um, Chapman has only taken two, one to North Carolina, which was earlier this month, and one to Washington State, the school that he was formerly committed to, and they decided to pull his scholarship offer when he chose not to sign with them during the early signing period. Um, he had some other options and decided not to officially visit those schools. So I'm not going to make a prediction. I'll let people kind of, you know, I'll, I'll lay out these facts here, and then you kind of make an assumption. Um, yeah, you know, there is, I guess, the possibility that he he could take an official visit to a school next weekend. Um, maybe that's the school he ends up choosing is some some uh, mystery school. But I think if you just kind of look at it, he's only taken two official visits. One of them, the school is no longer an option for him. The other one is North Carolina. I think you can kind of draw your own conclusions. Well, you know, Buck, I think the biggest thing about Chapman, if he does end up selecting Carolina, it shows just how much of an emphasis the coaching staff has put on getting some defensive backs, which, you know, going into the recruiting cycle, I didn't necessarily think that it would be that high of a priority position. But, you know, with the shakeup in coaches, they seem very dedicated on getting in some of these guys. So when you're looking at that, Buck, do you think that this is kind of a a result of the new scheme that Coach Jay Bateman's going to be bringing in? Because Chapman's 6'2", 185, so he's a good size. You know, with, with that quote-unquote positionless football, I think that he kind of slides right in there. What are your thoughts on that? Well, certainly, Mac Brown, the first time he was at UNC, he did have... Um, a tendency, almost uh, routine in some cases, for uh, defensive players especially to play down a position uh, from high school. Uh, If they were a corner, uh, unless they were like an elite corner, they would very likely maybe end up as a a box safety, uh, or if they were a box safety in the high school level, or, you know, a safety that uh, spends a lot of time in run support. They could easily wind up as a linebacker in, uh, at North Carolina. And I think that's a, a desire to have speed. Uh, and, of course, Mac Brown was always a big proponent of having speed on the field, particularly on defense. Um, uh, one uh, example that comes to mind immediately is uh, Keith Newman, who came to, to UNC as a – defensive back, and then wound up as a linebacker. Uh, and there were there are plenty of other examples where you know, guys were DEs at the high school level and moved into defensive tackle position and all up and down really all the positions on defense. So, it, you know, I guess it's hard at times. And sometimes Don's int- articles are very interesting uh, when he interviews these recruits because – they will often tell, you know, in the interview or say in the interview, uh, 
what position the coaching staff is attempting to sell them on. We see you as this, or we see you as that. And, uh, you know, sometimes that information, you know, actually gives us more, more, uh, knowledge about what the staff is thinking than, than our own, you know, just looking at their position, you know, they played in high school. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I wasn't, I'm like you, John, I didn't see the, I, I, for example, I thought linebackers would be where they might want to hit recruiting hard. And it, it turned out that uh, they were actually more focused on defensive backs. But it, it also, one other difference I would mention is that with, between this staff and a previous staff is that when this staff, particularly Mac Brown, makes public proclamations about what he's looking for and, you know, how he's going to recruit. He kind of means what he says. Uh, you know, the example we talked about last week was, um, you know, at, at one of his press conferences or introducing somebody, I forget how it went down, but he said that they were going to be looking for a center. You got to have a great college center. We're looking for a center. Well, looking at the roster, that that didn't look like the most crying need, really. Uh, but to be sure that that's what they did, they went out and and uh, you know got them someone who can play the center spot. So uh, I, this this staff will give you, I think, more information, and a good bit of the time when they give you that information, pay attention because they're they're really saying what they want and what they need. Uh, so I, I think that's a little bit different. And so with Chapman, Don, you know, after hearing Buck uh, talk about Mac Brown's uh, desire to kind of move guys around his defense and really get as much speed on there, which I think is absolutely on point. And I think that's going to very much gel with what Coach Jay Bateman wants to do. You know, from what you've seen of Chapman's film, do you see him as like a true, true safety? Or do you see him as possibly growing into maybe like a, a weak side linebacker, someone that can, you know, cover both run support and also drop back into coverage. Well, picking backing off of what uh, Buck just said, uh, you know, he, Chapman has told me on multiple occasions that UNC has told him that they see him as a press cornerback, which is kind of interesting because a lot of the rankings, he plays all over the secondary for, uh, for his high school, but a lot of the rankings project him as a safety. And sometimes you kind of have to take that with a grain, grain of salt because they're looking at, uh, you know, his size and thinking, okay, 6'2", 185, no way he could be a corner because, yes, there are 6'2 corners out there, but they're, but they're very rare. Um, but I think, though, when you mentioned the positionless defense, I think this is a guy that kind of fits that because I think he can, he can play some corner or if you do some sort of zone blitz and you need him to pop out to safety, he can do that. Or, I mean, if you watch his film, I mean, he's very, very athletic. If you need him to be the one blitzing from the corner position, uh, he can do that too. I mean, he has that that ability. I mean, he's his film is has him doing a bunch of different things, have him returning kicks, has him um, you know playing the slot, play or, or covering the slot um, in a nickel back roll, having him you know play some safety, play some corner. I mean, he's all over the place, doing a bunch of different things, making tackles, making interceptions, deflecting the ball. I mean, you know, uh, going after the ball carrier, all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I think he fits perfectly in what uh, Jay Bateman wants to do with his defense. All right. Well, some great info there on Chapman for everyone listening. Again, we are recording early on Sunday. He's supposed to 
He is supposed to be making his decision later on today. We will see which way that one goes for the heels. But guys, let's go ahead and take another very quick commercial break. And when we get back, let's talk about that transfer porter, that that transfer portal. So for everyone listening, we'll be right back after this. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Don Callahan and Buck Sanders. Guys, let's go ahead and wrap up the final part of the pod by talking about the transfer portal. And, uh, you know, Buck, I think your uh, the Buck Start Stops Here column that was posted on Inside Carolina on Friday about the Virginia Tech ones, that had me <laughs> laughing pretty hard because uh, for everyone who maybe is listening that has not read it, um, give us just a quick summary of, about you know how there is just no love lost between the heels and the Hokie fans. Well, yeah, uh, and you know the the article kind of explains why a little bit why that uh, North Carolina fans uh, aren't uh, particularly uh, don't have a lot of empathy for what Virginia Tech is going through. Uh, what it, they're up to what four or five guys now that are transferring. And, and when you see something like that, you, you immediately think to yourself, wow, what's going on there. And, then uh, we should allow for the possibility. I suspect that, you know, all of this is just coincidental, but, uh, it does raise some red flags, but yeah, uh, you know, and Don Callahan actually has been a pretty good source over the years of, uh, talking about, uh, when he talking to UNC recruits in previous years um, about how, you know, getting indications that there was a lot of negative recruiting coming out of the Virginia Tech staff when UNC was uh, during uh, going through their NCAA investigation. So it was certainly something that the Virginia Tech staff used. Uh, well, you know, are they going to get the death penalty? Uh, how many, are you even going to be able to play in, in a bowl while you're there? Uh, you know, uh, just on and on, there was a lot of negative recruiting coming out of Virginia tech and other schools as well, but we heard it a lot, um, you know, from recruits that were, uh, you know, had both UNC and, and Virginia tech. And there's quite a lot of those as, as it turns out that, both schools are recruiting. There's been some high-profile, um, you know, battles uh, last year. Dax Hollifield being one of them. So, uh, you know, the it's, it's just interesting to watch. Uh, you know how it's being spun. Uh, Justin Fuente even got to the point where he felt like he had to put out a statement. Um, but it'll be something to to watch you know, going forward. I don't know that they're quite done yet. Um, and it certainly doesn't sound as if they're done. Yeah, let's go ahead and and, tra- and transition into that. And Buck, I, I want to keep it with you because when the NCAA announced this transfer portal over the summer, and for those that, that may not be familiar, the biggest change was that now um, players did not have to request permission to transfer. They could just alert their schools that, that that was their intention and put their names into kind of a database and saying to coaches, from all over the country, hey, I want to transfer, you can contact me. Did you anticipate kind of this level of players utilizing it, Buck, because there's been the five or six departures from Virginia Tech, Penn State has has had a couple, 
there have just been some pretty big name kids, I think, from just trickling in. So, you know, again, over the summer, did, did you anticipate that it would be like this during the very first year of inflammation? You know, I always thought that the, the transfer, changing the transfer rule was, you know, a big deal. And, you know, for me, I've always thought that it was a really good idea. I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, I know I, I'm, nobody has to remind me life is not fair, but the, the fact that coaches, you know, have like complete freedom of movement, if they have an opportunity to, uh, you know, make more money or have a more prestigious job or maybe coach at a more prestigious school, uh, you know, they, they have complete freedom of movement, you know, subject to you know, their contract requirements. Whereas, you know, football players, not the case, you know, that there were all sorts of restrictions and red tape and other kind of rules, you know, surrounding their ability to move from one school to another. And maybe, uh, you know, if once it all plays out, I won't like the consequences that, uh, you know, that, that come with it. Cause a lot of times, you know, the rule of unforeseen consequences enter into it. Uh, but before we get any further into it, I don't know if you guys are aware, I probably ought to post a link somewhere on the, tar, uh, on the premium football board, but, uh, 24 seven sports actually has a, uh, transfer portal website, uh, that lists everybody, you know, that has entered the, the, uh, transfer portal and, you know, uh, even individual schools, uh, that have had players enter, uh, the transfer portal, uh, and they list them by teams, by conference, whether they are, they have entered the transfer portal and they have committed or they're not committed. And then it talks about their eligibility status. or is it immediate uh, pending a team appeal or where they're sitting one out? If you want to find that, uh, just by listening to this podcast, you just Google, 24 seven sports transfer portal. And it's very similar to, uh, you know, other types of listings. You'll see it 24 seven sports and, and football recruiting, like commits. If you go to the 24 seven sports inside Carolina page on the list by position, height, weight, and, you know, their rating coming out of high school and their eligibility status and, uh, you know, where they're going to transfer to or whether they're undecided. So for those that want to know, you know who is entering the portal and what their status is, just Google 24-7 Sports Transfer Portal uh, 2019, and it'll get you there. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's certainly interesting to follow. I, I did not actually uh, think that it would be so big immediately, but you, you got guys that are – they're in a roster, and maybe they've been over uh, recruited on that roster. Quarterbacks, uh, you know, elite uh, quarterback prospects certainly want the opportunity to play by the time they are sophomores these days. Uh, and if they're being replaced by someone who is, you know, in a class below them, they're going to look to go someplace else in a lot of cases. So, um, and then, and then you, every virtually every other position, uh, you see. Uh, the transfer rule coming into place. North Carolina really hasn't been 
uh, in the transfer market too heavy. Um, so uh, this year, I, you know, I, I don't know how much they have looked at it or won't have, and I know that at some point they might have been interested in Kelly Bryant, but that was more or less, you know, with the previous staff and before they got Sam Howell. So I don't even know if they're looking at uh, any of those, uh, you know, other players that might become available at different positions. All right, Don, before you kind of get into the, the transfer portal there, and I'm sure you can touch on, too, on UNC's, I guess, looking into the portal, but what was your initial take when you saw how many players were utilizing this new change to the rule in just the very first year? Yeah, I was surprised um, by how many are taking advantage of it, and especially with the, the quarterback carousel that took place. The, the thing is... Um, with anything that has to do with the NCAA and, and new rules and everything, I feel like I always have like two, I guess, voices in my head. You know, one's kind of the 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 uh, for the student athlete. The other one is as as, as a fan and as a, I guess for the student athlete, this is a great idea. As Buck mentioned, I mean, these guys should be able to transfer like a normal student would. Um, I don't know if it looks all that great though. If if you're transferring to uh, three or four different schools during your college career though regardless if you're a student athlete or just a regular student but um having that control and as you know buck mentioned you know the 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 coaches have all that control um they can leave jobs whenever they want and all that without any problems so it's good as a fan it just doesn't i don't know if it, it doesn't feel right to me i i this this open i mean it's essentially free agency and um i don't know i just kind of like the the consistency of knowing okay you have this five-star uh, or four-star sophomore quarterback, and in a couple of years you're going to see him. But now you have to worry as the, you know, the coach is doing what they need to do to make sure he stays there uh, because he could just up and leave without any sort of, um, any sort of, I guess, deterrent, which is what the, um, you know, sitting out of the year or uh, not being able to play against you and, and those sort of things. Um, but um so, yeah, so as a fan, I, I don't really like that much, but I get it, uh, and I'm, I'm all for it from a student-athlete. And really, what it's going to come down to is th they talk about this a lot, where when a, when a player is a recruit, the colleges are basically kissing their butt forever and you know, rolling out the red carpet when they visit, you know, tell them how great they are. And then when, once they sign, there's this, I guess, this process, quote-unquote, described as the de-recruiting, where you kind of have to – bring them back down to earth and explain to them, okay, you're, you're one of you're one player on a team and it's a team first and all this sort of stuff. And, and that actually affects some players and why some of them don't end up panning out because they can't adjust to that. Now though, I don't know if coaches can really do that de recruiting. You almost have to be kissing their butt the entire time they're on campus or else you could lose that guy. And um, it, it's going to change the way they do things. And for all the UNC fans that are, um, all happy about what Virginia Tech is going through, that's fine. But uh, be careful because this could be North Carolina in a couple of years. And I think what we're going to see is this year, Virginia Tech and Penn State are the ones suffering all the losses. And while Miami is, God, look at what Miami's adding. You know, adding, you know, Tate Martell, Asa Martin, uh, Buddha Bolden. They added a, a, a UCLA um, defensive lineman that started a bunch of games. They had another receiver, I think, from, from Buffalo. Um, so I think each year there's going to be a 
a school or two that's going to be, I guess, uh, suffer from from the transfer transfer portal for whatever reason. Because I can't. Maybe there's something going on there that I'm not aware of, and I'm sure there is. Um, but uh, it could just be completely just random how these things happen. And with Miami, I guess it's because you have Diaz there, and and he's has this uh, new energy and going to do different things. And maybe that's the attraction there. But uh, I really think on a on a um, a yearly basis, it's going to it's going to cycle through the different schools, and you know, in a couple of years, it could be North Carolina. The other thing too that I wanted to mention is that um, his name now escapes me. the The uh, player who signed with Southern Cal in in December, and and then he actually enrolled and attended classes at Southern Cal, and then put his name in the transfer transfer portal portal. And then just recently, I think over the weekend, committed to to Texas and plans on enrolling at Texas. That whole scenario there, and the reason why he he decided to um, to I guess transfer out of uh, Southern Cal so quickly is because Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, I guess, made some promises that he was going to be there, and obviously has not decided to to head the NFL route. But for recruiting purposes. If this continues to happen, the national letter of intent is going to be obsolete because essentially, if a, especially if if this player is uh, permitted to uh, to not have to sit out that first year, it, it's going to basically make it like why sign a letter of intent, and it's just going to be this complete mess, and um, it just further kind of um, you know cracking cracking uh, holes in in the NCAA's model. Yeah, I think that that's uh, where this will ultimately go is, you know, this is something that that Mike touched on when I spoke with him about it is the whole, you know, NCAA still propping up the the student athlete idea and how effectively, you know, this is similar to like non-compete clauses, which you see in actual employment uh, situations. And Mike being an attorney, you know, he's he's obviously very familiar with that. He, he's got that, that legal kind of take on it, but I agree with it as well, because, you know, before you're almost saying that, Hey, players have like, are the school's intellectual property. And you saw that, especially where, you know, that coaches and, and universities would restrict kids on, Oh, well, you can't go to this school because we're playing them. So they're, they're acting as if the, the student athletes are more of an employment, but the NCAA is still holding on to that, you know, oh, they're, they're not, they're, they're student athletes. So moving forward, you know, Buck, where do you kind of see this going? Um, just in terms of, I guess, the overall NCAA structure, because also there's another aspect of this I want to touch on, but let's start there. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, the one thing that probably ought to create the, uh, you know, if we've created the impression that, you know, guys can transfer without sitting out a year, that's not the rule. They still have to sit out a rule. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the guys that don't have to sit out a year are the graduate transfers. And, you know, you can see the graduate transfer rule I thought was an excellent one. I mean, uh, maybe it wasn't, uh, it was used in a way it really wasn't intended. Uh, but you know, the intention was, you know, the guy's graduated and now he wants to go to master's, but he's used all of his, uh, you know, uh, he's still has a year of eligibility left 
are we going to prevent him from from playing football you know while he's in class whereas had he stayed at the school he's at he could have competed because he still had eligibility i thought that was uh, a good rule that was a, the intent behind it but then uh, uh you know it worked out so that if you were uh, you know had graduated uh from the school you were in and uh, you know, you still had eligibility left. You might want to go somewhere uh, to play your final year uh, that enhances your prospects, you know, perhaps for making the NFL. You know, you've seen, uh, you know, this happen on several occasions. The last two Heisman Trophy winners from uh, Oklahoma, both of them transferred, uh, transferred in. And Don, you're waving your hand over there. I'm going to let you jump in. Okay. Um, yeah, and and I think maybe I wasn't uh, explaining it. Um, I, I probably had I missed a a part that was key. Uh, Buck is completely right, as always, that uh, there is a um, if you're not a tran- a graduate transfer, you have to sit out a year. But one of the things that we have seen, like we saw last year, Shea Patterson, he was supposed to Shea Patterson and, and some of the other. Ole Miss guys, they were supposed to sit out a year and they were able to, they got a lawyer and fought the NCAA and the NCAA said uncle before it got too ugly. And they were able to play immediately for their respective schools. Shea Patterson was with, with Michigan. Now there's a lot of rumors that um, like um, uh, Justin Fields, who's transferring out of Michigan, that he is, you know, he's going to Ohio state, that he has the same lawyer that Shea Patterson used and that he's going to use, um, I guess, the racial slur that was directed towards him by a, a um, baseball player at Georgia to allow him to bypass that year. And that uh, player that I was talking about that that um, was uh, committed to um, uh, Southern Cal and now is, I guess, transferring, I guess is the word we'll use, to Texas, Brew McCoy, he also is going to seek a waiver so that he's immediately eligible. So I guess my point there is that, yes, that's the rule, but I think as more and more of these guys find reasons to, to play immediately, it's, it's going to almost kind of be the norm that all these guys are going to be immediately av- uh, available to, to participate. And it's going to kind of take away that deterrent that was preventing guys from deciding to transfer. Yeah. And to follow back up on that, a couple of the guys that are transferring to, uh, Miami, um, Tate Martell, and uh, uh, who's the other guy? Asa Martin. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of those guys are pending appeal. Uh, yep. You know, from their respective schools, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out with the NCAA and the courts. Whether the courts upheld that uh, NCAA rule, or uh, whether they uh, say that it's, uh, you know, uh, not a legitimate organizational rule that can be imposed. Uh, you know, I think that will determine a whole lot of what Don's talking about. But um, so, yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of this still to be sorted out. We don't know if this uh, first uh, you know round of the transfer portal uh, some of the guys on Twitter, I forget who the, one of the guys guys are. One of the national writers uh, keeps, uh, you know, he's fascinated by the idea of calling it a transfer portal 
and likens it to science fiction uh, portals you can go in and out of. Uh, but it, it'd be interesting to see how it all plays out. And there's a lot that has not yet been determined about how, how this all will go. Um, but, you know, I kind of come down uh, in general on the side of uh, more freedom of movement for uh, student athletes um, than obviously they've had in many years. And, and the rule that they did away with uh, that has made all of this, uh, the transfer portal actually become a thing is that, uh, you know, in previous years, if you wanted to transfer somewhere, the coach, the football coach uh, at the school you're leaving could say yay or nay to, you know, the schools that he wanted to, the student athlete wanted to transfer to, you know, if, and typically anybody on their schedule, um, you know, in the next, during that player's period of eligibility, they would take them out of consideration for that kid. So, you know, how fair is that? And we've seen uh, several examples of, uh, you know, colleges or football staffs. Uh, uh, you know, Bill Snyder, I think, at Kansas State was really one of the worst uh, offenders in this regard. Um, you know, just be real hard uh, on guys that wanted to transfer and say, Oh no, you can't go anywhere in the big 12. You can't go, you can't go to anybody on our schedule or, you know, just, and then ultimately have to reverse their decision because they got such negative publicity for it. Um, so I think changing that rule and, and just telling the kids, Hey, if you want to transfer, you just, uh, enter the transfer portal and other coaches, staffs can contact you and take it from there. That's really what's changed and what has created the transfer portal. And I'm really in favor of doing that. And one other thing before I get off this little piece, I'm surprised that so few UNC players to this point have entered the transfer portal. You would think that in situations where you have a complete change of um, coaching staffs and you know, you all of a sudden uh, the guys that recruited you are gone, and now uh, your uh, pecking order on the depth chart could be in question. Uh, you would think you would see a more people from those situations jumping into the portal. North Carolina's only had three: uh, Tyler Pritchett, Malik Robinson, and uh, Caleb Rosar to this point. Um, so. You know, we'll we'll just have to see how uh, how that works out. But I, I was a little bit surprised that in North Carolina situation, we did not we would have seen more of that to this point than we have seen. Guys, let me go ahead and jump in here. Let me kind of ask y'all um, the final question before we we wrap up this talk. And it's something that EJ Wilson mentioned um, during our pod last last Wednesday. Don, going to start with you. EJ thought that the transfer porter a portal could actually lead to more parity amongst the college football programs because higher rated guys that maybe go to like a Alabama or Georgia or Clemson that for whatever reason, you know, they just don't see the field. It would allow them to transfer to other schools 
which could then, you know, kind of use them as an influx of talent. Also, I think what you might, what, what EJ said, and Mike also chimed in with this, is if you have guys that blow up at smaller schools, they then can go to a bigger school. And, you know, that also kind of increases just the overall talent pool. Do you agree with, with that, that the parity will be increased? Or do you think that it'll be the flip side, which someone mentioned on, on the message board, where we'll know now Alabama and Clemson are just going to basically pick from amongst the transfer players and even get more talent via a, a version of a free agency almost? Yeah, I um, well, first, transfer portal is a tongue twister. I think uh, both John and I, Buck's been good, but John and I have, have messed it up, have got, definitely been tied up by that by that term. Um, I can see both sides of that because I, I you look at a situation like with uh, uh, o- Oklahoma, who, yeah, Austin Kendall was a solid quarterback, uh, but, uh, you know, now, you know, he, we don't know what he was going to do. Um, as far as like how, how how successful he's going to be, and now Oklahoma gets a quarterback from Alabama who has who led uh, the Crimson Tide to a um, a national championship. I think that was the year they lost, though, um, or actually led them to two, um, and he was pulled from the second one. And so they that's the guy going to be running their their offense for at least this season. So obviously, that's a blue blue blood that's getting better that would have had a, a hole at a key position, but now doesn't. But at the same time, you see um, some of these other programs that are, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, even before the transfer transfer portal, Clemson had all those quarterbacks. Hunter uh, Johnson was a guy who I really, really liked coming out of high school. North Carolina wasn't, didn't recruit him too much. They recruited him. He didn't show much interest in North Carolina, but I always loved his film, loved him in the, the U S army game. And he's at he's at a Big Ten school. I can't remember which one it was, but obviously that's taking that talent and take and taking it to a completely different program. Um, so it is kind of spreading it out a little bit. So I think you're going to see a little bit of, of everything. Um, but really, it's just and I, I touched on this earlier, but what really surprised me is everything that's going on in Miami. I mean they they really they're going to be a good team this year with with the guys that they have come in. If everything can kind of come together and those coaches can get that offense going, I mean their defense has always been good, but. Um, I um, mean, they, they, they're bringing in some good players. And um, if, if Martell, well, obviously, if Martell and, and Asa Martin are able to play this season, that's going to be a big, um, I guess, factor in, in how good they are. But I could see I could see it happening both ways. I think it's going to be a little bit of both. All right, Buck, go ahead and close us out with your thoughts on, on that argument about parity. You know, I, I tend to agree with EJ's thoughts on it. Pretty much mine mirror his. Uh, I think it will probably result in greater parity. Um, and, you know, you, you, you back in the day, and of course, uh, rules have changed a bit, but, uh, you know, once upon a time, uh, there were certain schools, you know, in the SEC that, um, you know, they would sign 30 players every year, it seemed like. I mean, uh, the, the roster management and the gray shirts and the this and the that and the other, um, they would get a ton of players, you know, seemingly every year, you know, and then they would, uh, quote unquote, roster management their way out of you know, getting under the 85 limit. So, you know, in, in a situation like 
uh, Miami's in, for example, and they're having, you know, uh, I forget how many it is now, at least eight, I would think. Let me let me see if I can pull that up real quick while we're talking about it. Yeah, there, there's like uh, one, two, three, four, five, six guys uh, that 24-7 is listing as transferring into Miami. They've got one, two, uh, two, a couple of players that are transferring out as well. Uh, two, a couple of wide receivers actually are transferring out. Um, but in, in any event, those, uh, what's that? A net of maybe four guys. Those guys are taking up roster spots. And so, if it's somebody that you know, like UNC in their specific situation. Uh, that they're recruiting against, they're usually looking in the same, you know, they're swimming in the same pool, so to speak, for recruits. You know, if, say, uh, Virginia Tech added eight guys instead of lost eight guys, well, they're taking up eight roster spots. That's eight guys that they're not going to be able to sign to their recruiting class this year. Um, And, uh, you know, as far as roster management goes, all these recruits transferring out of, of Virginia Tech is going to open up roster spots. So the, the, the piece that I think uh, will determine whether EJ's right on beam about this is how do teams that are losing or adding players uh, manage their entire roster? Uh, because in the case of Alabama, say that University of Alabama, Birmingham, you know, uh, signed some guy out of high school, turns out to be a freak, you know, athlete is, you know, leading, you know, his conference and tackles or whatnot and has a couple of years of eligibility left, fits into their scheme. Well, they can bring that guy in, transfer him in, but they also lose the ability to recruit that roster spot in that particular year. Uh, So uh, I think uh, for people that are looking for a new vocation, uh, doing research on how to manage a roster, you, you might land a job at one of the major universities these days. If you can figure that out, exactly how do we manage the roster with this new uh, seemingly almost endless stream of transfers in and out of a, of a football team? Because it's going to get real interesting to see how that, that gets done. Oh, no yeah. doubt. There there will definitely be some schools that, that kind of fine-tune that more than others. Um, Don, you chimed in there. Go ahead. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think to, to Buck's point, I think it's going to make guys that are in the player personnel department that much more important. They, that position has been rising, uh, you know, tremendously the past few years, um, if not longer. And I think when you're talking about uh, transfers, too um, – they're going to be pretty big parts of that because they're going to obviously have to have someone monitoring the, the transfer portal um, and trying to figure out how to you know keep things going with their current roster, what their needs are and everything like that. And it just adds an extra dynamic to the whole roster management situation. Yeah, uh, it is definitely going to be something that is going to, I think, have a huge change on college football. We've already seen it this year. I think it will only increase moving forward. But guys, we have talked for a while now. 
I think everyone is probably sick of hearing my voice. Definitely, you know, Don and Buck, your sultry, sweet melodies. I'm sure the fans could listen to for hours, but I think we can go ahead and wrap this one up unless if there's anything else you guys had to talk about. I'm good. Well, you know, I'll be the first to admit that uh, I, I'm a big fan of listening to my own voice. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to touch that one because, Buck, you're the guy that signs my paycheck. So absolutely. <laughs> good move. Good move. Oh, man. All right. Well, Don, Buck, I really appreciate you guys joining me early on this Sunday morning. And for everyone listening, thank you as well. That'll do it for this version of the Inside Carolina podcast. We will be back later on. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.